Welcome back to the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes so that you can be in the Word and be on your way. 20 minutes so that even if the only time you have today is your lunch break, you can be in the Scriptures. Today we are continuing with Mark chapter 9. Last time we ended with chapter 9 verse 1. Jesus had told his disciples, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. And we really kind of looked at what those phrases meant, the kingdom of God and power. We talked about how that power is a reality both today and in the future. So that he was telling the truth when he said his disciples would see the kingdom coming in power and that you and I have access to the same power of God as St. Paul writes about it, uh, that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. We, we experience the kingdom of God in power even today, and we are looking forward to when uh, Jesus's power will be complete in the end of all things. Uh, following that in chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus is not only going to show his disciples what the kingdom looks like in power, but he's going to show his disciples what the kingdom looks like in the glory of God. And, and I say that on purpose because we're going to see here that what's called the transfiguration and that the glory of God is a really important theme in here. So it begins in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Six days later, Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up onto a mountain where they were all alone with Jesus. And it says there on that mountaintop, he was transfigured. Now our word transfigured, uh, we get that from the Greek uh, original. The Greek is metamorph, I think metamorphao, uh, meaning to have a change in form. Metamorphao, you hear the word, the English word metamorphosis, metamorphosis from this. This is the word we use when we talk about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Something has gone in through a massive change of form. So Jesus up on this high mountain with the disciples, he goes through a very drastic change in front of their eyes. It says in verse 3 that Jesus' clothes become dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And I think Mark's point here is that something supernatural, something not of nature, something over nature, something supernatural is happening here with the disciples and Jesus. And verse 4, and we're going to talk about this for a second. And there appeared before the disciples with Jesus, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Now there's a lot to say about Moses and Elijah being up on this mountain with Jesus, but I want to focus on what seems to be Mark's special emphasis with Moses and Elijah. Think back into what you know about Moses and Elijah, that both of these men had gone up onto a mountaintop during their lifetimes. And their mountaintop experiences where they had encountered the living God at a big crisis times in their life. Both of them had run to Mount Horeb, which is also called Mount Sinai. So Moses, remember, had run away from Egypt. Why did he run away from Egypt? Remember, he had killed that Egyptian guy and had left Egypt thinking, man, if the king finds out what I've done, I'm going to be in big trouble. So he runs away from Egypt and he goes to Mount Sinai. And when he gets there, he encounters God in that in what we call the burning bush, which is really a bush that does that is on fire, but it's not actually being consumed by the fire. You remember that story? Moses goes and there he meets the living God. He speaks to Yahweh of of, of Israel, 
And there God instructs him to bring judgment to the gods of Egypt. He says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to rescue my people. I am going to bring judgment on the gods of Egypt at this time. So Moses knows what it's like to be up on a mountaintop in the presence of God. Elijah too had the same experience, except Elijah had just defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and Elijah too had also run away because Jezebel said that she was going to kill him. Jezebel said that she was going to take him out. So he had run to that same mountain, to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, depending on your translation. And God had instructed him of his mission to bring judgment to the, uh, to the wicked kings of Israel, just as Moses had brought judgment onto the wicked kings of Egypt. So these are the kind of mountaintop experiences that Moses and Elijah had when they heard the voice of God. They had gone to the mountain to seek refuge from danger, but God had met them there and sent them right back into the danger. Peter and the other disciples are there and they see Jesus transfigured before them. And they see Moses and Elijah, these two prophets of God who had had these mountaintop experiences and had encountered God in a very real way. Peter, in verse 5 of Mark chapter 9, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, or uh, I think in the Greek, tabernacles, um, just kind of lean to temporary shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then in my translation here in the NIV, yours may be a little bit different. It says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. They were so frightened. So, Think about this little word, frightened. Remember everything we've seen in Mark's gospel about what it means to have fear. Here Jesus shows something powerful and the response is fear. In other places we see that word phobos in Greek. Uh, we get the English phobia from it. It's that fear. Uh, and remember in Mark's gospel, we've got two different ways of handling fear, right? The first way is fear which which is actual terror it causes you to reject Jesus and we saw that in the land of the Gerasenes when the people saw what Jesus had done to the man who had all those demons in him had Jesus had cast those demons into the pigs and the pigs had run down into the water and drowned and the people were terrified of Jesus they had fear but it caused them to reject Jesus and send him away but in the opposite way you have a holy awe and reverence like the disciples did when Jesus calmed the storm with just a word. It says they feared a great fear, but they stayed with him. They wanted to be with him. The fear of the Lord is how the Bible uses it that way. So you have these two ways of dealing with fear. So the difficulty here, though, is that when the disciples are afraid, they were so frightened, they didn't know what to say. How do we handle that? I want to be very careful. The word here for how the disciples we're feeling is an adjective and the adjective is, that describes them is comes from a from a verb ekphobeo so there's that phobos root in there still meaning afraid but ekphobeo means super duper afraid super duper afraid and almost always almost always this verb and as a matter of fact in your translations this verb is always translated as being terrified. This word is translated as being terrified. But I want to go sort of out on a translation limb here and say that in this case, it doesn't mean to be super duper terrified. What it means is to be super duper in awe of something. 
And I don't do that lightly. Um, I am not a PhD in Greek or anything like that. But I want to point out uh, two things that make me believe that this word doesn't mean um, terrified out of, out of Peter's mind. The first one is, is that there's another place in the Bible, uh, St. Paul does it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. It talks about, St. Paul says, I don't want to frighten you. But I think it's better understood, it makes more sense in context, that St. Paul is saying, I'm not trying to overawe you with myself. I'm not trying to, so we have a choice. It, it can be, um, I don't want to terrify you and make you afraid of me, or I don't want to make you think I'm something I'm really not, or I'm, I don't want to make you fall in, in sort of holy reverence for me as some kind of special person. Uh, so for, you can look that up, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 9. But I think in this case, the reason I want to, I want to translate it differently than it's translated in most other places is look at the context of what's happening here in Mark chapter, in Mark chapter 2 and think about what, what St. Peter is saying. Peter's reaction doesn't seem to match the words of someone who is struck with terror. It says, it's good to be here. Let's build some tents. Let's build some shelters here so everybody can stick around for a while. Now, does that sound like somebody who is terrified and just wants to get away from the situation? Or does that sound some, like somebody who is in reverent fear and awe and wants to draw closer to the situation? I think it's that second one. Now, I don't go out on this translation branch lightly. I don't like to disagree with the translators of I don't like to disagree with the translators of, of, your, of your English translation because they're super smart guys and <laughs> nobody's ever asked me to be on a translation committee. So, um, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But I think it's better understood and not that Peter was frightened, but that Peter was awestruck. So think of it this way. Think of it as Peter says to Jesus, he is so awestruck by what is happening. He is so, uh, he has this intense feeling of holiness and blessedness to be in the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah himself that, that Peter says, Lord, it is good to be here. Let's stay here. Let's stay here as long as we can. Jesus doesn't get a chance to respond to Peter because God has something to say to Peter, James, and John. We recognize here that Jesus brings Peter, James, and John up onto this mountain, not for his own benefit. He brings Peter, James, and John up on this mountain because he has something to tell them. The Father has something to tell them. Just like Moses had a reason to be on that mountain with an Elijah too, God has something to say to them. Verse 7, it says, A cloud appeared and enveloped them, surrounded them. And a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So this is the message that the father wants to give Peter, James, and John. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now, Jesus doesn't need to hear this message. Jesus knows who he is. Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elijah don't need to hear this message. They know who he is. This is Peter, James, and John. This is for their benefit so that they would be reminded of who Jesus is, that he is actually who he claims to be. Remember, I talked about how the disciples were going to see Jesus in glory, not just because he had just talked about having the kingdom of God coming in power. Uh, this is going to be related not necessarily to that, to that sense of power, but that sense of glory. And I say that because what happens? A cloud appears in verse 7. A cloud appears and envelops, surrounds them. And if you know your Old Testament, if you know your Old Testament, you know for, you know for a fact that when the cloud appears, 
you know, not, not talking fog and not talking a cloud in the sky. I'm talking when a cloud appears in the world that it's very closely associated with the glory of God. We see this first back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 13 and Exodus chapter 16. The cloud is, is associated with the glory of the Lord. Uh, in Exodus uh, chapters 24 through 40, when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, there's a, there's a thick cloud up there uh, before and after the golden calf. There's a cloud associated with the glory of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 40, 40 they build the tabernacle and the cloud descends onto the tabernacle and fills the tabernacle with the glory of the Lord. Uh, during the Israelite wanderings, the, the pillar of cloud by day is the presence of the Lord with his people. In 1 Kings chapter 8, after Solomon dedicates the temple, the temple is constructed. Solomon performs this, you know, the, the Solomon and the priests perform the sacrifices, and then the cloud of the glory of the Lord descends and fills the tabernacle. And so the presence of God is associated with a cloud. The glory of God is associated with a cloud. The scriptures can't be any clearer than that. And we know from Ezekiel chapter 10, talking about the glory of God now, so we're, gonna, we're taking a little bit of a break from what's happening on, on this mountaintop with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Um, we're going to talk a little bit here about the glory of God. In Ezekiel chapter 10, it says that the glory of God has departed from the temple. And we know that to be the case because uh, the kingdom of Babylon comes and tears the first temple down, tears down Solomon's temple, makes off with all the temple treasures. And I'm sorry, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Babylonians took that too. They took it all back to Babylon and they melted it down and made coins and jewelry out of it. Um, so the glory of the Lord had departed from the temple of God. And here, though, here this the glory of God, the, the cloud shows up again. It had not been here for a long time. We're going to talk about that here in the next episode. The glory of God had not been, been among God's people in a long time. And later, at the ascension of Jesus, which isn't recorded in Mark, at the ascension, at the ascension of Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, after Jesus talks to his disciples, it says he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. Not just any cloud. Jesus doesn't fly away like Superman up into the sky. Jesus ascends into the glory of the Father. He enters the very presence of God. The presence and glory of God that had departed from Jerusalem way back in the days of Ezekiel had now returned. And now we see this here with Peter, James, and John on the mountaintop. Let's see what happens. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus. That was it. That was the whole message they got. This is my son. Listen to him. But we know this. We know that just as it was not God's will for Moses to stay up hidden on that mountaintop shepherding his father-in-law's flock, just as it was not God's will for Elijah to stay hiding in that cave, hiding from Jezebel, right? It's not God's will for Peter, James, and John to hang out on this mountain with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He says, I didn't bring you up here to to, to leave you here in safety and security. I brought you up here so that you would know there is a mission for you to do. And what is that mission? God says, listen to Jesus. And what was the mission that Jesus had just given his disciples? To take up your cross and follow him. To proclaim the kingdom of God. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus 
was always concealing his glory, always telling people, don't tell anybody what has just happened. But now he's telling his disciples, he adds a time, he says, there's going to come a time when you are going to reveal what has happened to you, what you have seen. And that's going to be when the Son of Man rises from the dead. That's when um, you can tell people about the glory that has been revealed to you. And verse 10, they did keep the matter to themselves. They did what the Lord told them to do. But they were discussing what he meant when he says, quote unquote, that he was going to rise from the dead. So the confusion of the disciples here shows that even though they have witnessed Jesus's glory, they still don't fully understand. Think back to that blind man. I think back to that blind man that Jesus had to encounter twice before he could see clearly. So much like that blind man, the disciples, these disciples are going to need another encounter with Jesus, with the glorified Jesus, to understand clearly, to see clearly. They're not going to get it yet, but they will get it when Jesus rises from the dead and appears to his disciples. Okay, that's where we're that's where we're going to have to end today. I wish I could go further, but I am just about out of time. Uh, super happy to, uh, to be with you today. Uh, get into the shout-outs here in just a second. The shout-out I want to give today is to the musical group who created my theme music. I had a couple people asking about who that is. Um, the song is called Sold to the Nice Rich Man, and it's a gospel song, and it was uh, written, I believe, by an Old Testament professor somewhere whose name escapes me, but it was recorded by a group called The Welcome Wagon. The Welcome Wagon is Pastor uh, Vito, Thomas Vito Ayuto, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, and his wife Monique. Uh, they live in New York somewhere in the city, and that album is called Welcome to the Welcome Wagon, and it was released in 2008. And I have no idea how I ran across it, because uh, I'm not a big music guy, but I have listened to this album over and over and over again for the last 10 years. I love the whole album. Like I said, it's called Welcome to the Welcome Wagon by the Welcome Wagon. The What I love about this song is, of course, the music. Musically, it's fantastic. It's produced, that, that, that album is produced by Sufjan Stevens. Um, but the words of that song are fantastic. Um, like I said, the name of the tune is Sold to the Nice Rich Man. The Nice Rich Man in that context is our Lord Jesus. And if you listen to the whole song and you listen to uh, the words behind it, you kind of get an understanding of, of how it is about Jesus. I reached out to the record label for, for that album and, and asked for permission to use it as the theme song for my, for my podcast and got an email back from, from uh, Pastor Ayudo, who told me that it was okay. We talked about price and everything for for licensing music if you have your own podcast please please you know license the music don't 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 use music for free it, you know people that make music deserve to be paid for it um, but that was kind of one of the highlights of me starting this whole process was I got an email from uh, from this musician uh, who I greatly admire his work you can find their music on the, the record label is called asthmatic kitty dot com if you want to buy the album directly from the record label or it's available on Spotify, iTunes, these kind of things. All the usual suspects will have their music. I just 
super thankful that they let me use their music for my my podcast theme songs and and i wish them nothing but the nothing but the best in their ministry up in new york uh, again this is pastor frank with the lunch break bible study and i hope you have a blessed day